0: As Claire instructed all of us when she was talking to the children, uh, Jesus says he came to bring the truth. Not just to teach us the truth, but to be the truth. And human beings have struggled with how to express that ever since. We have biblical creeds, we have church creeds, we have the historical ecumenical creeds like the Apostles' creeds, Creed that we um, recite here often or the Nicene Creed, we have modern ecumenical creeds, regional and local creeds, denominational creeds, interdenominational creeds, and creeds for specific movements. All of them trying somehow to capture, to communicate what is true. But one of the earliest affirmations of what was true is very instructive for where we're going to go with our teaching today. And that was the hymn that Paul recited in his letter to the Philippians. See, Philippians 2, while it many of our Bibles it reads like one long series of prose, really what Paul is doing is he introduces it and then he repeats a hymn that was common to be sung in the early church. So as we as we bring our hearts back in here, as we settle in after dropping our kids off and greeting each other and and talking i want us to i want us to recite this hymn i want us to affirm this hymn as a way of preparing ourselves for worship this morning so if we could bring that up ryan read with me you should have the same attitude towards one another that christ jesus had who though he existed in the form of god did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. As a result, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Well, again, welcome everybody. My name is John Ray. Welcome you if you listen on the podcast, if you're watching on the Facebook live stream. We're really glad you're here. If you're going to listen to this later in the week as you're working through the learning guide, Um, we're really glad you're here. You know, when I saw the bumper sticker on the beat-up pickup, I just had to laugh. It said there across the back of this truck, the truth will set you free, but not until it is finished with you. And I had to laugh. For much of my life, you see, I had been taught by people in church that truth was truth. And our group had the truth, and other groups didn't. And while that didn't make us better than other groups, well, it um, made us better. Um, and I later went to a large state university that had John 8:32 engraved across the doors of the main building. That was the verse that David Foster Wallace was making fun of when he, or was riffing on when he said the truth will set you free but not until it is finished with you there it is of course the truth will set you free but this state university did anything and everything but promoting biblical truth it had a version of the truth that it said we have the truth and other groups don't and that while that doesn't make us better than other groups well it um it makes us better than other groups and then after the university and my experience in the church, you know, I, as a young person, I was very involved in politics. I loved the, the, the game of it. I loved the sensation of it and everything. And there I was taught, hey, our group has the truth. And that absolutely makes us better than everybody else with that, with the, with the political. And I kind of felt like as I was writing this out, as I was preparing, uh, this is turning into one of those man walks into a bar joke, right? Right? There's the preacher and the politician and the professor, and they're all arguing, and then Jesus walks into the bar. It's it's kind of what's happening here in the midst of all these truth claims that we live in in our world, whether it's academic, whether it's political, whether it's religious. Jesus walks in and makes a declaration that shatters them all. So pray with me as we prepare to hear what he would say to us today. Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you to walk in and to speak. God, that you would be present here and we would be present to you. And that everything that we think we know, we would hold out to you to affirm or to pluck out, to verify or to show us its falsehood. Because Jesus, you are the truth. Not our thoughts, not our creeds, not our theology, but you, the person of Jesus, embody truth. So as we ask this question, reveal yourself to us today, we ask in Jesus' name. You see, the truth is found in the person of Jesus and is reflected in his kingdom. And the question becomes Will we let Jesus have his way with us? That was the question that essentially he was asking everybody that he encountered his disciples, the crowds, the Romans, the Pharisees, everyone that he encountered was being asked in their encounter with Jesus Will you let Jesus' truth prevail? In our text this week, as we lead up towards Easter, we see Jesus brought before Pilate, the Roman authority of the time. Well, let's look at the text, John 18, starting with verse 28. It says, Then they brought Jesus from Caiaphas to the Roman governor's residence. Now it was very early in the morning. They did not go into the governor's residence so they would not be ceremonially defiled but could eat the Passover meal. So Pilate came out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, it, you gotta, this story is just full of vivid imagery and irony. You're going to wake somebody up early to ask a favor of them, but you ask them to come outside because you don't want to get yourself dirty going inside. Now, that's not how to win friends and influence people, folks. That's not something you do to get on someone's good side. But nevertheless, they do this. And the irony here is that you have a group of people who is plotting to unjustly try and execute an innocent man while at the same time they're worried about appearances. They're worried about how they look. They're worried about what people will think with that. Do you see the blindness? Do you see the irony there in what they're doing? They're so consumed with appearance, they don't even realize that they're plotting murder of an innocent man. Well, let's go on. After Pilate asked his questions, it says they replied, if this man were not a criminal, we would not have handed him over to you, which is kind of circular reasoning. Uh, Pilate told them, take him yourselves and pass judgment on him according to your own law. The Jewish leaders leaders replied, we cannot legally put anyone to death. Now this happened to fulfill the word Jesus has spoken when he indicated what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate went back in the governor's residence, summoned Jesus, And ask him, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, are you saying this on your own initiative? Or have others told you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own people and your chief priest handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus replied, as Jesus is wont to do, not with a direct answer to the question but with what he wants to say. He said, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my servants would be fighting to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Then Pilate said, So you are a king. We need to stop here for a minute. Because we can easily get tripped up here. When we talk about worlds and kingdoms and different things like that, what Jesus here, this, this word for, for world that he says, my kingdom is not of this world, is cosmos. It's a word that's used often. It's just a, a reflection of the reality of the world that they live in. Jesus is not saying this. He's not saying, hey, my kingdom is some airy-fairy thing out in the nebulous that's, that's distinct from the tactile, that's distinct from your everyday living even though it's easy to read it that way, right? It's easy to think of Jesus when he says, my kingdom is not of this world, of think of just, you know, well, maybe it's heaven. Maybe it's that place we get to after we die. Maybe it's something that, that deals with the spirit realm that we can't see or, or taste or feel. Maybe it's something like that. That's not it at all. Think about the context of where this is coming from. John Farthing a few weeks ago taught so eloquently about how the world trades in death, how the world uses death to enforce its rules, how the world rules us with the fear and the power of death, and how that results in violence, competition, scarcity. Jesus is brought into this thing where all of us, where the religious leaders are more concerned about their appearance and they are about committing murder. Y'all, that's the way the world works. That's the kingdom of the world. Jesus is brought into the palace of a governing body that rules by force of arms, threat of violence and death. Y'all, that's the kingdom of this world. That's the kingdom of this world, is the one that rules by threat or bribe or coercion or the power of appearance or buying or selling or how good you look or how smart you are or how much money you have, what race you are, what nationality you are, what gender you are. That is the kingdom of the world. And Jesus declares, my kingdom is not of that world. Instead, his kingdom operates on something radically different than all of those things that we are taught to think have power and have rules. He goes on to say, Jesus replied, you say that I am a king. For this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked, what is truth? When he had said this, he went back outside. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't respond to that, right? Because Jesus has already responded with his entire life. When he had said this, he went back outside to the Jewish leaders and announced, I find no basis for accusation against him. But it is your custom that I release one prisoner for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Then they shouted back, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a revolutionary. And again, the passage is thick with irony that this the ultimate revolutionary the ultimate revolutionary Jesus who comes with a kingdom that is not of this world that doesn't even it doesn't fight according to the way this world fight it doesn't operate the way this world operates but he brings his kingdom to overturn all other kingdoms the ultimate revolutionary And the people who were destined in a way, created to know that, to witness to that, to see that, to feel that, to live in it, his own people instead choose a common everyday revolutionary of the world, one who would fight with a sword or an IED or whatever was at hand. That's who they choose, and so often that's who who we choose. Now, it seems pretty evident to me as we look around, and as I examine my own life, that as I get older, the less receptive to new ideas and information I become. In fact, if I'm going to be completely honest, in my own life, it has taken major traumatic situations Significant loss for me to even consider something different than what I thought I knew. Once we hit adulthood, most of us, we have so imbibed the laws, the ways that the world works, the systems, the habits, the customs of this world that we just become dull, if not totally immune to anything different. The question becomes then, how do we break free? How do we learn to live in this world, but not of it? You see, it wasn't just Jesus. When Jesus says, hey, my kingdom is not of this world, it's not just him. That's what he invites all of us to do. That's what he invites all, who he invites all of us to be are people who live in this world but not be of this world. People who base our lives on his kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. How do we do this? How do we start to really learn instead of, like the world says, just cocoon ourselves off into informational ghettos? where all we hear is just affirmation of what we already believe. How do we do this? How do we learn to recognize what things are helpful to us and what things limit our ability to truly be transformed? What are the things that keep us from knowing deeper truth? The theologian Karl Barth said this. He said, No cultural education, no art, No evolutionary development helps us beyond our sins. We must receive assistance from the ground up. Then the steep walls of our security are broken to bits, and we are forced to become humble, poor, and pleading. Thus we are driven more and more to surrender and give up all that we have, surrender and give up those things which we formerly used to protect and defend and hold to ourselves against the voice of the resurrection's truth. Well, here's the first step, what he says in this process. If we're truly going to know the truth, if we are truly going to live as people in this world, but not of this world, if we are truly going to live as apprentices of Jesus, if we are truly going to know the truth, we have to give up the truths. Small t. Truths. We have to let go of those things that unexamined, just received, the things that the culture approves of or our habit or our clan or our tribe or whatever it is, say is true, but ultimately cause violence, cause separation, cause scarcity. We have to examine everything that we hold as true in order to know the truth. Now, some of the, I'm not saying all of those things are wrong. Hear me clearly. I'm not saying that all of those things that we have come to believe are necessarily wrong. But if we hold them unquestioned, if we put them in the place of capital T truth, instead of holding them loosely as little t truth, they block the bigger truth. So we have to be willing to let go and to examine those things which we hold as true in order to know what is true. Now, listen, this can be tiring. And I know some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, then I can't go through my life questioning everything. And, And I get that. I get that. It's not wrong to want to be certain about specific things, to know that it is settled. To be constantly evaluating, questioning, and testing can be exhausting. But at the same time, failing to recognize our presuppositions, the things we take for granted, can stunt our ability to change. We have to think of knowing the truth as an ongoing process. Something we need to grow and cultivate instead of assuming truth as something static That we can collect and store up. Let that sink in for a minute. How do you understand truth? Is it something static? Is it a commodity that you think you can go get and then use towards an end? Or is it something that has been planted in you? as you become a follower of Jesus something that needs to be cultivated something that needs to be nurtured something that needs to be practiced with that i heard a or i read a fantastic quote and i didn't capture it exactly but it went something like this and it's very true to my experience is that you know when you read church blogs and you read things about the culture it's like well we need more discipleship you know, the church needs more discipleship, which I, to which I say amen. We absolutely do. But it says so often our response to that need is to say, well, let's start another class. Let's read another book. Let's have another program with that. As if the answer was more information. Listen, friends, we have more information than the church has had for 2,000 years. I want you to think about this. I've got a program on my computer that I can go and access libraries from all over the world. A few clicks. All of us have the Google, (laughs) right? I mean, we have, if information or the lack of information was the problem, we've solved it, y'all. We got all the information there is. But we don't know truth by just gathering more information. We don't know truth by just reading another book. We don't know truth by doing another program. No, we know truth by practicing. See, we've talked about that a lot here at Grace Church. How our idea, the way that we've been brought up, the the kingdom of this world, if you will, is here's something understand it, and then do it, maybe, right? Are you with me? Is this true, right? We hear something, there's like, well, I got to understand it. You know, I want to parse it out. I want to know where it came from. That's not bad. Listen, that's not bad at all to do. And then we decide, well, maybe I'll obey it. Maybe I'll do it. Whereas the biblical model, the model that is represented by Jesus time and time again, is hear something, do it, and then understand it. Maybe. Now, that's a very sim- simplified linear model. We all know that it actually works more in a spiral where we're, we're constantly hearing, we're constantly doing, we're constantly evaluating, That it takes us back to hearing more and seeking more. But if we're waiting to have all the right information and if we're judging others on their ability to know the information we're operating according to the kingdoms of this world not according to the kingdom of God knowing the truth is a dynamic process that where action and practice is a necessity not an option Leads us to the last point, maybe the thing that holds us up the most. We looked at how we got to let go of the little truths, how we've got to put this into action first before we can really understand it. Listen, y'all, let's admit it: change is scary. True change is scary. It's not comfortable to let go of those things we hold as certain. It's not comfortable to examine our presuppositions, our our points of view. It's not comfortable to ask questions, and it's sure not un- it's sure not comfortable to step out to practice something different, challenging. That's not comfortable. Change is scary. Look, we all see in our own lives and in the lives of other people the tendency to keep doing bad things just because you know what's going to happen. Right? I mean, we have practices, we have habits, things that we see people do, and they, and they kind of know that it's wrong. They know it has a negative effect, but at least they know what's going to happen. At least they know the outcome. They're comfortable with the situation, even though it's producing hurt and death. We get locked in our habits. We get Locked in our ruts, we get locked in our routines, we get locked in our clicks, we get locked in our assumptions. Oftentimes, just because to change is scary. Knowing the truth means following the truth, and that is going to cost us. And the only way that I know to overcome that fear is to go back again to the story to go back again to the hero of the story, Jesus. Now I want you to think about what we recited when we started that passage from Philippians 2. Think about this. Think about those words in the context. Can you, Ryan, can you bring those back up, that first slide from Philippians? Think about the action in this as they sung it. This was not just Hypothetical information. They were singing about a practice. And the focus was Jesus who did everything he's asking us to do. Letting go. Humbling. Serving. Obedience. The way we overcome that fear, the way we let go of these truths, the way we put this into practice as we fix our eyes, our minds, our imaginations on Jesus. Who went first? Who has done these things? Who embodies these things? Who knows what is true and is what is true? What is true? What is truth? Jesus is true. Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension his teachings, his interactions. What is true? Jesus is true. What is not true? Violence. Death. Power over. Buying and selling. Acceptance and rejections based on your race or your gender or how smart you are, how much stuff you got, or how you look. That's not true. That's a lie. Jesus is true. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And as they do, we're going to transition now into a time of practice. Instead of just sitting there and hearing information, we're going to practice that. We're going to approach this table. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're welcome. And I thought about this this morning as I was serving this communion to the worship team. How profound it is that Jesus said, do this thing, take this meal, taste the truth. Don't just know it, don't just think about it, taste it. Take it into your body. Remember what was done for you. We focus on Jesus with our words, with our affections, with our worship, but also even into our very being. We take a representation of that truth into us so that it feeds us so that we can go embody it as well. This is a holy meal, a holy sharing. And everyone is welcome who is seeking after Jesus. We also do that by singing, by worshiping, as Lucian leads us today, by getting our bodies involved in it, by reflecting it in our bodies, by standing and singing and doing that. We do it in our sharing and our gifts of giving our money, giving our resources, giving our time for the sake of others with nothing expected in return. That's what we're inviting you to do now. Know the truth by practicing the truth in our worship here And then as we leave and go forth from this place today, thank you for being here.